We've always believed in something called progress. It's time to get lit. What kind of lit? Health lit. That's what I'm talking about. It's time to get educated about health conditions affecting our community. Your health is very important. Check in with experts on important topics like breast cancer, diabetes, prematurity, and much more. This show is lit. No one should know you better than you. So lock in. Welcome to Your Health is Lit. What up, what up, guys? It's your girl, Charlotte Walker, a.k.a. the PDNP, here for my not-so-live podcast recording. Um, I had some big sister duties to handle. My sister is graduating in May. What, what? And I am the senior lit tutor. So we have a big paper that we've been working on, and so um, I had to kind of make the sacrifice for the podcast to be live. So I can be live and lit at graduation. Okay, come through class of 2019. Ah, uh, man. Also, my first solo dolo podcast. What? So shout out to Donna. Um, we found out this week that she got into her um, doctoral program. So you better she out here slaying it. And a very, very happy birthday to our girl Eve. Happy birthday. Um, I hope you enjoy Hamilton and that fancy dinner looked amazing that you had, okay? So, y'all are stuck with me solo dolo, and it's still going to be lit because that's what we do. So, um, let's hop right into lit news. So, a couple of articles that I have today that I thought were really interesting. The first one is about marijuana. Um, There have been studies, European and Canadian studies, um, because the federal government still schedules marijuana as a schedule one drug, which means like, if you don't know what, there's different drug schedules based on whatever, um, drug class something is in. It's like legality as well as like prescriptive authority and a whole lot of other rigmarole, but schedule one drugs are drugs that the government classifies as highly addictive and so they are legal and so even though at the state level marijuana is legal in 33 states and the on the federal level um, marijuana is illegal and so researchers healthcare providers were not allowed to do research studies on marijuana which is crazy because it's almost legal across the states in all of the nations but we have no idea in regards to um what in-depth details and research needs to be done. We have no ideas on really that many long-term effects because legality issues keep us from doing research. So we have to rely on the research studies from other governments, which is a public health issue in and of itself. Um, However, so these European and Canadian studies revealed that um, increased THC levels in marijuana. So people who smoke that good, good, that like, oh, I want that, that, that's, thank you, that, yeah, whatever. It's trash. Anyway, increased levels of THC, potency higher than 10%. Smoking marijuana with those higher potency THC levels leads to psychosis. Um, and like I said, this is, uh, you know, a public health issue because it's really hard to study the consequences of marijuana on our population because of the legality issue, but a lot of people are doing it anyway. Um, so in the U.S., there, the average potency on cannabis um, products, and this isn't just, you know, smokable marijuana, this is like edibles and all of that, is over 20% 
THC. So THC is the psychotropic ingredient that makes people have, um, you know, feel high when they're smoking. And CBD is like the non-psychotropic um, element in marijuana. So um, it just is crazy. So it says in the U.S., um, the average THC potency for cannabis um, is over 20%. The average potency of um, extract-based products, so vaping, um, oils, dabs, is over 70% potency. All it takes is 10% every day to make you psychotic. Um, and to me, it just is, it's crazy because it's something that we don't know enough of. And I hear a lot of people always say, like, oh, well, it's from the earth. Well, so is arsenic, Graham. So are you out here eating rat poisoning? Hmm? Do you do that? Because it's legal. Um, or people like do argue like, oh, well, they're trying to make it legal anyway. Alcohol is legal. Still does not mean that it's good for you. Cigarettes are legal. Still does not mean that it's good for you. So we have to kind of step away from, you know, what's popular and because something makes you feel good, that is a self-control issue that you, oh, well, I do this because my nerves bad. Friend, if you can't find something else to do when your nerves are bad, besides put a chemical into your body, then you need to see Jesus first and the therapist next. Okay. Okay. So I think that, you know, the thought of you know, you never heard somebody overdosing on marijuana. You don't know that because we cannot research it. That's why you haven't heard nothing. Not because it's not happening, not because there's not issues, but because in the United States, because it is illegal, we can't even get stuff to do research on and to do research with it. And so we're kind of stuck in limbo. But what I will say is I saw another article um, that I didn't, I like kind of glanced at it quickly that showed that since legalizing marijuana, Colorado has had like three or four times of cannabis-related ER visits. So where is, where is the, you don't know. And of course I don't, HIPAA, HIPAA, so I don't know what these ER visits are about or why they're having it, but I'm pretty sure they're probably related to some kind of like psychosis or psychotic sim symptoms because marijuana is a psychotropic drug. It makes you, it, it messes with your brain. So before you decide that you want to smoke every day, get high every day, think about that. Think about the long-term issues. Think about the things that you may not know. You know, back in the day, cigarettes were really popular. People were smoking cigarettes while they were pregnant. And now you fast forward a couple decades and we know that that's a horrible thing to do. And now we have all of these ads against cigarettes and we're trying to undo it. Is marijuana something very similar? And that's something that we need to be aware of. And as I continue on my rant, the second article that I saw today was that the American Academy of Pediatrics is calling for an increase in taxes so that sugary drinks um, are more expensive to help curb the childhood obesity epidemic. So the, AA, the AAP, so the American Academy of Pediatrics, by the way, if you are a parent and you are looking for recommendations for anything, you always want to make sure your recommendations are coming from the American Academy of Pediatrics or something that they endorse, like such as like healthykids.org. Um, those are those places where you wanna go and do 
research and find things out because Google is a wormhole and everything that's on the internet is not always factual. Side note. So the AAP reports that children are consuming over 30 gallons of sugary drinks each year. That's enough to fill a bathtub um, and that doesn't even count the sugar that they're eating in junk food. Just all by themselves, sugary drinks, 30 gallons, one child per year. Um, the idea of the tax is to make it more expensive so it's less affordable for parents to provide these sugary drinks. Um, one of the doctors said in the article, like, you know, I want the parents to have more skin in the game. Like, not only are you spending more money, but you're costing more money in the long term if your child develops a chronic illness. And so one reason um, that the AAP is targeting sugary drinks is um, that in one 16-ounce bottle of soda, there are almost 300 calories that are consumed. So let's say you go out to eat, you have cheeseburger, french fries, and soda. The soda alone is 300 calories. The, the meal, if you look at those, the calorie counts when you order those meals at the drive-thru, they're like anywhere from 1,000 to 1,200 calories. And that's just one meal out of the day. And we're talking about for children. And every day in my office, I see tons of kids who are brown, just like me, and we're starting habits. I mean, a one-year-old eating hot fries. Like, why? Why? That we're starting habits early to continue the epidemic and to continue this generational curse of obesity and diseases in our families and everybody, you know, you worried about vaccines, but you're feeding your kids trash every day. I don't understand it. Oh, I don't want, I don't want this of my kid's body. Meanwhile, they're drinking sugary drinks and crap that are linked to diseases. It does not make any sense and we just have to do better. So in cities that have already increased taxes on sugary drinks, um, they take that extra money and put it into health and nutrition programs because prevention, disease prevention is what is important. We do very poorly as a community and particularly, I wanna say with the people that I've encountered in the black community, we are not good at prevention. We want to fix things. You'll kind of take your meds and stuff once you get diagnosed with diabetes. But how about we keep from getting diabetes by putting some habits and moderating some of the things that we like to do? And so how do we expect our children to do that when as adults, we're not teaching them like eat asparagus, eat Brussels sprouts, like these things, they can be tasty and they are healthier for you. Kids do not come out the womb like, oh man, let me get a, let me get a Pepsi, no. We introduce that for them. And I have so many parents that come into my office like, I don't know how to get her to eat anything other than junk. Let's start with not buying it. You're like, you are legit. You are the plug. You are slanging chips and sugary drinks to your kids. Stop buying it. They'll get hungry and they will eat. So um, the AAP also is like coming after like advertisers on kids networks because that's where they post a lot of these um, 
you know, advertisement for these, all these different drinks and stuff changes colors and they do things and market things towards kids that they entice them and then they drive their parents crazy until they eventually give and buy. And so it is important that we kind of start getting a handle on this because right now one in five kids suffer from obesity and the rates of childhood obesity have tripled. Like we used to call type two diabetes like adult diabetes and type one diabetes, juvenile diabetes. But we've had to change that because type two diabetes is mainly impacted by lifestyle choices, sedentary lifestyle, um, poor diet and poor weight management, then your pancreas doesn't work right. And you are unable to process sugars and insulin. And that is a very like basic idea of type 2 insulin. So you make, you or type 2 diabetes, you make the insulin. Your body is capable of trying to regulate, but your pancreas has now become resistant to the insulin, and now you need more help. That's type 2, and a lot of times we used to see that, and later in life, and that was like adult diabetes. And um, type 1 diabetes, you don't make insulin at all. So this is something you're born with, um, there's some idea that it may be in some research showing that it's more of an autoimmune type thing where you don't make insulin at all. You were born like this. There was nothing you can do about it. And we would call that juvenile onset diabetes. But now, because our childhood obesity rates have tripled, there are five and six-year-old kids walking around with type 2 diabetes. It is insane. And we're, we're doing it because we're the adults. Um, so I just, you know, um, one of the points that I thought was really interesting in the article was that the only drink that the AAP recommends that children consume that have some caloric value in it is 2% milk, not even whole milk, because there's a lot of fat in whole milk, 2% milk or water that those are the recommendations to have juice like juice has juice and soda have no nutritional, no positive nutritional value for your kids at all. You don't need juicy juice. You don't need, you don't need it. It's not necessary for their growth, for them to have juice. It's just something that we've come, become accustomed to. And it's not something that they have to have that they need to, to grow and thrive. Um, I don't know if this is the exact right approach, because then on the other hand, I know that there are people that are like, well, the stuff that's supposed to be good for you is more expensive especially in terms of food but water is free then i know you know i also think about you know people in flint michigan who don't have clean water to give to their kids okay so then what is the alternative for them or what is the alternative if you live somewhere and your water supply is not great which i can't believe i'm even having to say in the united states of america but you know what alternatives do we have um i definitely think that the issue needs to be addressed but it really is a self-control and a discipline issue. And even with myself, I struggle with snacks and sweets and things like that. And it's just really about maintaining and disciplining yourself. Um, so like, I don't have, I don't drink sodas during the day at all. And then if I want to as a treat, then for with dinner, I may have a soda. Instead of me consuming three and four and five sodas all day, I drink water all day. And it's just something that I do because I'm not, if I'm going to use calories, I want to eat, it better taste delicious. I would rather eat 
a piece of cake and drink water with it than to eat cake and drink a Pepsi and have pizza on the side. That's okay every once in a while, but a lot of times these are meals that we are feeding our kids. We do the sugary cereals with the whole milk. They have juice and a waffle. Carbs, sugar, carbs, carbs. There's no nutritional value in that. And so I think it's really important that we, you know, really educate ourselves on what a balanced diet should look like and providing that for kids. Everything in moderation, right? Like if you're at a birthday party, yeah, they can have juice, but juice should not be something that you're buying every day. Soda should not be something that's constantly, like that you keep stocked in the house. And I think until we start learning to moderate and to really take care of ourselves as adults, and then teach these habits to our kids, then we're going to continue to have a problem because, of course, when it comes to childhood obesity, the African-American community, we, we are disproportionately affected. And so a lot of times, a lot of these things like genetics can play a role, but our culture, like we got to do it for the culture, like let's undo it for the culture because we eat like crap. With cheese, like mac and cheese is delicious. Do not get me wrong. I love baked mac and cheese. However, that's not an every Sunday thing. It's not something that you need to eat every week. It's not something that you need to eat every day. Making these full course spreads is not something that we need to do every day. We eat this huge meal and easily these meals are over 3,000 calories. And we have the nerve to want some pound cake for dessert. And we want a Pepsi on the side. And we've already had breakfast and lunch. That is a lot of food and a lot of calories. And where, where is it all going? Where do we expect it to go? Amen? Amen. Okay. So today's main talking point. So last um, week, we talked about colorectal cancer and colorectal screening um, and how Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month was in March. So March is also um, Youth Violence Prevention Month. And I'm really passionate about this one because I am the PDNP. I work with kids in pediatrics. Um, I work in an inner city um, clinic where I see a lot of black and brown kids. I see all kids, but I see a lot predominantly black and brown kids. Um, a lot of them have grown up in the area in which I work and a lot of them have been affected by violence. I've had, you know, a six-year-old tell me like, look, this is my brother on my shirt and somebody shot and killed him. Like, you know, there, there's a lot more violence that takes place in our community that we're aware of. Youth violence overall in all communities is an issue. Matter of fact, let's just kind of define what I mean by youth violence. So youth violence includes, well, it's a global health problem. So like even the World Health Organization is a part of trying to solve this and that's how much of an issue that it is. Um, but it can range from like bullying, um, physical fighting, homicide, so killing someone, um, sexual assault, all of that is encompassed in youth, um, youth violence. So nearly one in five high school students um, have been, have reported some form of like bullying in the last year. Homicide is the third leading cause of death in age groups between 10 and 24. 10 
right? And if you guys are a part of the Facebook group, you saw that I just posted a story that just happened today. Um, if you're listening to the semi-live, <laughs> just happened today. Um, in South Carolina, of a girl who's in the fifth grade got into a fight at school and died from her injuries. Fifth grade. Fifth grade. That is insane. Um, each day, about 14 young people are victims of homicide, and almost 1,400 are treated in emergency departments for non-fatal assault-related injuries. Um, for each young person that gets killed, there are many more that sustain um, that sustain injuries that require medical attention. So one study um, showed that three to 24 percent of women in this age group reported that their first sexual experience was a forced one. I had a patient tell me that, you know, she lives in foster care because her, you know, she was raped um, and well, essentially trafficked by, by an adult in her life to other people. Um, and it just broke my heart, like, to hear that story and to know that at 50, 15, 16, 17 years old, these, these kids are dealing with things like that. Um, when the violence is not fatal, it usually has a serious and lifelong impact. So not even just physical, because the physical wounds heal. Like So for instance, that patient, the physical wounds have healed, but the psychological and social functioning of these children changes. Now they feel like they have to be on the defense. Now they feel like they have to defend and fend for themselves because the adults in their lives haven't shown them that they are there to protect them. And so then they become angry and violent and have these outbursts. Um, and youth violence and really impacts the cost of our health care. Um, not just health care, but welfare. So like DCF cases and put the, having to house these children and remove them from these poor situations, um, as well as criminal justice, you, the criminal justice department also. Um, it reduces the productivity and decreases like the value of property in certain areas also. So those bad neighborhoods, quote unquote, um, it decreases the property values. So you go and you try to own something. It just, in so many ways, this issue tackles and hits so many aspects of our life. Um, so youth homicides and non-fatal physical assaults have resulted in 21 billion with a B, billion dollars annually combined in medical costs, lost productivity, um, not including costs associated with the like psychological or criminal justice systems or um, any type of social consequences for victims, the um, community, the perpetrators, or their families. So 21 billion, that's just hospital bills. Um, there are tons of risk factors associated and many of them stem from like individual things such as like having a low IQ, um, not having, like having things like attention deficit disorder or like a learning disorder. If you have a history of aggressive behavior, um, a lot of it has to do with how you're raised. So 
low like parental involvement so if you're not watching what your kids are doing or there's like a lack of discipline um that definitely impacts and puts them at risk because then they're more easily peer pressured more easily um able to get into mischief and trouble being in gangs um they if they have poor academic performance they're at risk for violence um if they live like where you live and the environment that you raise your kids in if there are a high concentration of poor people then they're more at risk for youth violence if there's a, a high level of people being transient um so people moving in and out quickly and a high level of family disruption one of the things that we um and i believe i've talked about it on the show before have started implementing in our office is what's called an ACE screen. So this program was developed in California and it, every time we have a patient that comes in, we kind of give them this ambiguous form where they don't have to tell us exactly what's going on, but they, we give them a list of different things that we've seen um, can impact a kid's life, whether that be put them at risk for youth violence, put them at risk for a chronic disease such as asthma, high blood pressure later in life because a, a ton of adverse childhood events can lead to the development of these chronic diseases. Once they write the number, um, depending on where they score, and we have like a whole scoring thing, we are able to offer services to them. So what I love about the place where I work is like we have community um, partners out and that come in and offer services like free legal services three times a week. To, pay, to families who otherwise would not have a way to, you know, dad's in jail and she needs, he needs some kind of representation or she or custody cases. There's so much that, um, that we offer that go beyond just meeting your, your physical needs because health and wellness is all of that combined. Um, so a lot of focus, I feel like, on youth prevention as a community. First off, again, when I did my research, Black community disproportionately affected by um, youth violence. And there's so many different things in regards to, like, the structure of our homes. Um, we hear a lot about like, you know, just broken families in our communities and it's a cycle that perpetuates. Um, I've, I've even talked to a lot of my friends about this and you can, we can tell, I can tell the difference in some of my own personal friends when we talk about, you know, our relationship, our spiritual relationship with God who, you know, we consider our spiritual father and how it mimics the relationship with our fathers our physical fathers here on earth. And so I was having this conversation the other day and I, and I just had to realize that a lot of my friends, they were not as fortunate as me to have, you know, both of their parents in the home. And so they don't have a relationship. They don't have that idea of what that should look like. And so that's what's happening in our communities. And it's a cycle that perpetuates and then it leads to violence and it leads to us losing out on like kids losing their lives. Like it is such a big deal. Um, there are tons of organizations and different things that we in the healthcare community have enacted to address the issue. So there's like life skills and social development programs. 
Um, a lot of schools have started an anti-bullying program. We've seen so many stories. And I've had um, a close personal friend of mine whose son had a suicide attempt. And at such a young age, because the bullying is much different than what it was when even I was in school, because you left school, like I got bullied, people talk about my gap in my teeth and all kind of other foolishness that don't even matter now. Um, but when you went home, that was it because there was no social media. And so now what happens, and we didn't have access to electronics like that. Like if you wanted to text somebody when I was in school, you wrote a note, okay? And you folded it up real cute and you, and you hoped you didn't get caught. <laughs> so um, my minutes also used to be free after nine o'clock, but that's neither here nor there. Um, if you did not live in that time period, you missed out on life. Like, girl, you gotta call me back after nine, my minutes not free. Anyway. Um, but that stuff follows people home now. The bullying follows these kids home. And so that it's almost like they never, they can never escape it. So um, programs that support parents and teach positive parenting skills, because what I've seen is uh, there are a lot of babies having babies and they don't have a good example. And so then they don't know how to be a good example. And then we just have, again, this generational curse of, of this poverty mentality of, you know, the mom was, you know, 15 when she had you, she's doing the best she can, but it, it, the streets are raising you. And so our community is really negatively affected. Um, interventions on reducing like drug exposure. There's so much stuff that I see young kids say to me that I'm like, this is their normal. Why is it normal for us, you know, when did we normalize smoking and doing things in front of kids? Like, why are your kids watching you get high? That is not normal. And then, but it then becomes their normal and we perpetuate a cycle. Um, so what's really evident is that preventing youth violence requires a comprehensive approach. So it's not just like the healthcare providers, it has to be consistent. And the biggest thing um, to address are some of those social determinants like violence, um, income inequality, social change, um, low levels of social protection. You know, it, this isn't just something like, you know, like sickle cell where we are, it's, our, it's genetic. No, even though it seems hard to be in a situation, you can change, you can be the change agent, you can go out and volunteer and reach out to some of these kids and take your opportunity and your time to, even if it's just for a very short time, to be a, uh, like a change agent for them. I, that's, that's the only thing that I have. You can help be a catalyst to keep them from being one thing. A lot of these kids that I see, because I am younger, I fascinate them because I can talk to them about, oh, yeah, I better not catch you in the shade room and also talk to them about, like, let's make some life decisions and some life goals. And so because they've never been exposed to that, they may not have an older sibling. They may not know, like, oh, my, like you, like you're young and you are in a, 
a position outside of this and you talk a little bit different than I do like what's up like what do you have going on because you don't know about things if you've never been exposed to them you don't know that something isn't the normal if you have not been exposed to it and it this rings true for everybody but it is so important because if we don't take control of these kids and their lives. Their friends are raising them. The internet is raising them. Social media is raising them. And that is how we end up with stories like the one today about the fifth grader who is, who's dead. She won't come home. Her mom sent her to school. Her mom sent her to school. We have, you know, the school shootings that are happening. And they happen for a wide variety of of reasons, but what do we do to protect our youth? If we can't protect the kids, then who can? And what steps as a community are we going to take? So I just wanna challenge everybody, if you have kids, talk to them, be nosy. Like you cannot parent and be their friend at the same time. It is not your job to be their friend. Like it's not. This is not the time you are raising up the next generation of people. You are, you've been given such a big responsibility and we have to make sure that we're good stewards of that. If you are like me and you don't have babies yet, be a good titi. Like I'm a great auntie, I love my babies. Be, you know, touch the kids that you do come in contact with. When I do well visits, especially with my teenagers, I talk to them at length, especially the girls, especially the girls. Do I always have the opportunity and the time like scheduled physically on my schedule? No, but what I feel so led just to kind of give them some insight in that 15 to 30 minutes that they, that I have their attention, just to give them something to think about, to expose them to something that they've never seen before. It's important. Our youth is important we are burying way too many kids and we can make a change in that. What are we going to do? How are we going to protect them? What steps are we willing to take? Once we take away the sugary drinks and they're not dying from diabetes, they can go to school and get into a fight and die. That, that does not make any sense. It is unnatural. And so how do we take control and empower ourselves and empower our community to where we are able to protect the kids. Who is gonna protect the children? So to close tonight, I do not have a health highlight because I ran out of time, <laughs> but I just wanna leave you, I want you guys to be the health highlight this week. Find somebody, go do big brother, big sister, Go find a kid's life who you can impact and help change. Be that person that when they come back to you 20 years from now, sow the seed. Sow the seed. Like, go and sow the seed and sow a seed into some child's life and, and make an impact on them because it matters. Our kids are dying. So I want you guys to be the health highlight. I want your stories. I need you to drop them in the Facebook group. I want to hear about who you mentor and how you mentor them. How are you going to be a part of this, this change that needs to happen with the way that we um, take care of our kids? And they're all our kids. Well, I tell people, I tell parents all the time, like, I know this is your baby, but this is my baby. <laughs> like, this is my baby too. So when I see kids in office, 
I really try to take that little bit of time that I have to just pour into them and sow a seed. You may not have all the time, but you have 10, 20 minutes to talk, to call and talk to somebody. You have a friend who has a kid that you can sow into. You have your own kids that you can sow into. Are your kids being raised by, the, by social media and the internet and telephone? Do you really know what's going on at school with them? Do you really know? Because some, like, some of the stuff that some of these kids say to me, I know it's happening, but to hear them confirm it sometimes is mind-blowing. And they're younger kids too, not just the teenagers. So I want you guys to be the health highlight. Reach out to a kid that you know. Reach out to a kid that you don't know. Find an organization. Find somewhere in your community that is doing something to address the issue that we have with our kids dying. And volunteer, donate, be a part of the change. So until next week, I will holla at you guys later. Have a good night. Have you not joined our Facebook group yet? What are you waiting for? We need to see you in the place to be. And if you love our podcast and you want it earlier than Fridays, then you definitely need to join the group because we are now going live in the group and recording our podcast earlier in the week exclusively for our group members. So if you're interested, you want to go to www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash your health is lit because it's definitely somewhere you want to be.